Good morning. This is uh, case <coughs> 26 from the Mumonkan. The main case. The monk once went to see Master Hogan of Salio before the midday meal to ask for instructions. Hogan pointed to the bamboo blinds with his hand. At that moment, two monks who were there went over to the blinds and rolled them up in the same manner. Hogan said, one has gained, one has lost. Muman's commentary. Just tell me which one has gained and which one has lost. If you have one eye open concerning this point, you will know when national teacher Serio failed. Nevertheless, you should not inquire into this problem in connection with gain or loss. The verse. The blind being rolled up, bright clarity penetrates the great empty space. Yet the great empty space still does not match the principle of our sect. It is far better to throw away emptiness and everything completely and with a tight fit, never to let the wind pass through. So we are three weeks into this meandering journey of the fall ango. By now there is a better sense of knowing how to work with the personal intentions we raised at Ango entry. The resolve cultivated during an intensified training period creates a conducive and sustained environment for all of us to face what we need to face, to go through the emotional and psychological barriers. And it provides a strong structure that supports working on dissolving this barrier. And all of it is maintained as skillful means so we can experience some level of liberation and a sense of inclusive expansion that keeps growing further and further in acceptance, which is the challenging theme for this particular angle. And so today, working with the point this koan is raising, I thought it would be good for us to examine the root causes of non-acceptance rather than look at how do we accept why are we not accepting what what's in the way what are the barriers so to look at that looking directly at our fearful mind that creates barriers and fosters rejection as a protective mechanism for the illusory self Zen training is aimed at reconciliation of dichotomies, or in simple terms, dissolving the dualities that, while exist conceptually, only conceptually in the mind, they actually become dominating factors in the way we see ourselves and the way we see our reality. And they control the way we speak and act in our everyday life. So our practice is kind of like a flashlight that reveals the workings of our grasping nature and a divisive way of thinking 
and it sheds light on the even ground where all dichotomies can be seen as secondary or provisional and not so fixed and rigid as they appear in our mind. When we take time to actually look or to sincerely look and examine our grasping nature and our divisive way of thinking, it is easy to see that we are ruled by an underlying dualistic pattern that penetrates every aspect of our lives. And unless and until we shake up this rigid way of being, we remain trapped within a cage of dichotomies, regardless of what they're about. During one of his sermons, the Buddha spoke about eight worldly conditions that revolve the will of samsara, which are essentially four sets of dichotomies. And he said, because these eight worldly conditions revolve around the world, and the world revolves around these eight worldly conditions. What eight? Gain and loss, pleasure and pain, recognition and insignificance, praise and criticism. These conditions found among people are impermanent, transient, and subject to change. Knowing them, or getting to know them, the wise sees that they are subject to change. The desirable conditions don't stir up the mind. The undesirable conditions don't cause aversion. In a translation and commentary by Tanisalu Bhikkhu, he outlines each of these four sets of dualities. And he says, first one, happiness versus suffering. Once we have happiness or experience happiness, fear arises, for we are afraid to lose it. When suffering arises, no amount of wishful thinking makes it go away. The more we hope for it to be otherwise, the more pain we feel. The second said, fame versus insignificance. We are obsessed with fame and afraid of our own insignificance. When it dawns on us how hard we need to work to be seen as someone special, our fear of insignificance is only magnified. The third set, praise versus blame. We need to be pumped up constantly, says, or we begin to have doubts about our worth. When we are not searching for praise, we are busy trying to cover up our mistakes so we don't get caught or we're not seeing. And the fourth one, gain versus loss. Just as we are about to congratulate ourselves on our success, the bottom falls out. Over and over, things are hopeful one moment and the next they're not. And in either case, we experience anxiousness. The point, he says, the point is that circumstances and conditions change all the time. If we're only going to be happy when gain, fame, praise, and pleasure are around, then we are counting on things no more reliable than shifting sand. If we are going to be, if we are going to be miserable every time we meet with loss, 
disrepute, blame, or pain, we'll spend most of our time unhappy. A settled heart is not tossed around like a tiny ship in the ocean by these conditions that come and go. If our intentions are directed at doing the things that make us flourish, then these worldly conditions can come to have less effect on us. We become, by degrees, freed of their pushing and pulling. If we see their changing nature, they have less of a hold on us. This is one way that happiness, independent of conditions, is developed. Can you close the windows? So when we recognize how we get tossed around like a tiny ship on the ocean by these conditions that come and go, as he says, we can see how our dualistic way of thinking creates an endless source of suffering and how it keeps feeding the underlying sense of discontent. So the eight worldly conditions the Buddha speaks of also perpetuate a state of poverty mind. Well, in fact, they come out of poverty mind and maintain a sense of poverty mind, which is probably the most common issue human beings deal with, regardless of personal circumstances, status, or culture across continents and through time. Poverty mind is also acting as the most challenging barrier, or creates the most challenging barrier to unconditional acceptance. As long as we remain occupied with comparing, quantifying, and judging ourselves, we will keep doing it with other people and the world around us. It's like anything else. We get good at whatever we do on a regular basis. And since we have been fostering poverty mind for a very long time, we have mastered it by now. In this koan, Master Hogan is skillfully, skillfully triggering our embedded poverty, sense of poverty mind on purpose so we can see how quickly it arises in us and how it blocks the possibility for inner peace, for contentment, and for acceptance. For the sake of our awakening, he raises waves where there is no wind. So let's look at it. Let's, let's examine what he's saying. Let's say we are at the Zendo. And I'm sitting down and I point to the windows. Two people get up, open the windows in the exact same way. And I say without pointing, one has gained, one has lost. What happens when we hear this? What happens to the two people who get up to open the windows? And what happens in our mind, the rest of us? What's going on in our minds when we hear? One has gained, one has lost. Where does the mind go? What do we think at such a moment? What kind of emotions are stirred up? 
And in this koan, Hogan is not indicating who has lost or who has gained. Or what are the parameters by which he appears to be judging or we think he is judging. All he said is one has gained, one has lost. How do we hear that? Where does the mind go when we hear it? So let's take three ways of hearing this with three different emphases. The first one, one has gained, one has lost. The second, one has gained, one has lost. And the third way, one has gained, period. One has lost, period. What's the difference? Where do we fall? Where do we get trapped? So the way we hear this can either create further mental constructs in our minds or set us free of mental constructs we are grasping onto. Mental constructs form the basis of our perceived identity. And our words and actions are a reflection of our perceived identity. Look at your own experiences. When you get recognized and praised for the work you do, how do you feel? How do you speak after? How do you act afterwards? And then when you take it for granted or criticized, how does that make you feel? How do you speak and act after that? How does the rest of the day feel like? Does it really change? When the wind comes, the wind comes. When the leaf falls, the leaf falls. And often we hear exactly what we want to hear or the angle of what is being said just so we can fortify what we already think about ourselves. So we may actually not hear what is being said. And whether we feel happy about getting approved or getting approval and compliments or for being great or crappy about getting singled out for making a mistake and being criticized. In either case, our expressions through words and actions reflect a distorted sense of self. Either way. And therefore create an extra layer of veneer that prevents us from being authentic and true to who we really are. And this is most important. There is a veneer. There is a crust. There is a shell. And while we may say that we want to get rid of it, often the way we speak and act only maintains it only fortifies it. So the practice is asking us to be fully aware of the thoughts and feelings that arise when the mind is stirred up and to recognize all of it as a pattern of habitual momentum and to keep returning to the ground level or to the ground before the mind moves. And this is where genuine, authentic behavior 
comes from. A place of having no agenda. A place of not knowing. A place of true equality. It's not manufactured. It's not contingent upon anything. And above all, it's not a question. We are not a question. So in a way, we can sum up the practice by saying that we are just training to be authentic. But to be authentic requires us to be in alignment with our true nature. And the way to be in alignment passes through the gate of unconditional acceptance. There's no way around it. The question is, where does unconditional acceptance start? Conventionally, right? We are used to looking outwardly. Are you accepting unconditionally? Well, let me look around. I'll get back to you about that. What are you asking me? What am I supposed to be accepting? That's already too far. So these two monks got up from their cushions, walked over to the window, grabbed the strings and opened up the blinds without giving it a second thought. Just like our everyday activities of blinking the eyes, taking a breath, walking around, eating a meal. Where is the question? Where is the gap? Every one of our mundane daily activities is by itself fully authentic and by itself verifying its own true nature or our own true nature. So where is the gap from which non-acceptance arises? In the commentary, this koan appears in another collection and uh, from that collection, the commentary says, why not comprehend before pointing to the screen? In other words, why not comprehend right now? Before anyone says, great job, you suck. Before we say to ourselves, why not comprehend right now? Or maybe better yet, why not take the responsibility to comprehend right now? Of course, this is not negating the ongoing process of learning to be more proficient or refined in everything we do. Right? So whether it's everyday activities or specific skill we work on a profession. But at any step along the process, any step, we can still be true, we can still be authentic, even when we make one mistake after another, again and again and again and again. Even if we keep falling on our face again and again. As you heard before, when, when we work on a koan, it's one of the things that actually koan studies should teach us. We work on a koan and we express or present uh, an answer to a koan. It may not fit that particular koan, but it can definitely still be authentic. In other words, the authenticity of our words 
of our actions is not determined by whether or not we pass a koan. So if we don't pass a koan, if we are told to go back and look at it, back to the cushion, examine it some more, that's not criticism on our authenticity. It's just saying we have to learn to be more fitting. That's all. But the authenticity is not in question. Although we question it. Which is what we need to look at rather than look at passing or failing a koan or whatever it is. We have to look at what it stirs up in the mind. How do I feel? Not why I feel the way I feel. Because to answer this question is easy. Right? You point at something or someone and here's the reason. Is that so? Or does that justify feeling the way we feel? And of it doesn't make much sense because conventionally, this is where the eight worldly conditions come from. Worldly condition, eight conditional, right? They are conventional. They depend on a conventional way of being. In that way of being, this makes perfect sense. So it doesn't make sense to go against it. And this is why the practice is referred to as emancipation beyond comprehension, beyond what seems logical, beyond what is conventional, beyond what is habitual. And this is what we do in Zazen. We watch the way the mind creates mental constructs. We just watch. And we keep returning to a natural state of being. Why not comprehend right there? A place where nothing is conjured up yet. Once, we conjure, once the mind conjured up things, something else happens. So Mumon said, just tell me which one has gained and which one has lost. If you have one eye open concerning this point, one eye, you will know where a national teacher Salio failed. Nevertheless, you should not inquire this problem in connection with gain and loss. You know, we often talk about dualities. Where is the duality there? So when, when he speaks of one has gained, one has lost. Where do you think the duality lies? Hold that question because I want to hear from you in a few minutes. The verse, the blind being rolled up, bright clarity penetrates the great empty space. What blind is that? And who will open up that blind? Is it the monk on the right or the monk on the left? Is there someone else that can open that blind? Yet the great empty space still does not match the principle of our sect. Because Zen does not stop there. It is far better to throw away emptiness and everything completely. 
and with a tight fit, never to let the wind pass through. So maybe you want to say something about that in a few minutes. So from the commentary to the same case in the Shoyoku, as I said before, there is another short paragraph that's very fitting. The long do not have excess. The short are not lacking. Therefore, though duck legs are short, they will be miserable if you add to them. And although crane's legs are long, they will be very unhappy if you cut them off. Where is the gap? Is there something wrong with short legs of a duck? Is there something better in a crane? So the eight worldly conditions perpetuate a sense of lack or poverty mind. And poverty mind always has an agenda. Having an agenda gets in the way of acceptance. As long as there is poverty mind, there is agenda. And as long as there is agenda, acceptance is not available. Period. So how do you experience poverty mind or a sense of being insufficient? How does this ango and the workshops help you experience and verify the immense preciousness of your true nature. And what do you think being without an agenda really means? So those are some of the questions I want to bring up today and I want to hear from you. See if we can have some conversation about that. Maybe we can uh, air it up a little bit. So, who's first? Unmute, say your name, and speak. So, Daibo is going to tell us about the workshop that he is running and how it's, a, how it's helping free us from poverty mind. He did not know that until now. Okay. Can everyone hear me? Yeah. Okay. Um, so this koan is a favorite of mine for a number of reasons. Um, I can remember when I, I passed it, it was a very happy experience for me when, when I did. Um, so the master is presenting us with, um, you know, the discriminating world. He serves it up to us. Right. So, if you're one of the monks and you are going to roll up the blinds and you have an agenda, as Roshi says, other that goes beyond rolling up the blinds, um, you are going to be subject to that discriminating world, right? The question in and of itself is going to stir up inside of you. Um, you know, those thoughts of right and wrong, good and bad, gain and loss, and things like that. Um, but if your intention is fixed, or not fixed is the wrong word, but if your intention 
is to roll up the blind and there is nothing else than rolling up the blind, then the master's words are, you know, they don't have any sway over you. Um, so what we're trying to do in the workshop is we're trying to enter um, into that state of, you know, merger with whatever it is that we're doing. And, you know, in the different exercises, we explore different aspects of, of merger and different things that we merge with. So if you're able to enter that state of unity um, with whatever it is that you're encountering, um, the discriminating world really holds no sway over you um, because there is nothing other than what it is that you're doing at that moment and what it is that you've you know, merged with uh, at the time. Um, so that's what we're trying to do in the workshops. And that's how the workshops are trying to um, help us be rid of this feeling of lack, this poverty mind. Um, by truly entering a state of unity with what it is that we're doing and then coming out the other side and expressing that state of unity in an action uh, or in an expression or in whatever it is that, that needs to be presented at that moment. Um, mm -hmm. So that's how the workshops are going. And I think they're going pretty good. And those of us that have been... Uh, Working in the um, Zen art and poetry workshop, I think uh, um, I think uh, I'm very happy with with the way that it's going and, and how much work people are putting into it. I think it's very helpful for everyone, especially for me. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So, so there is the intimacy of observation, right? Whatever it is we're observing within, right or without, and then there is the expression of that intimacy, right? As, yes. Right. So in that intimacy and then the expression of intimacy, there is no gap. But then, of course, a gap arises when I start to think about what will others or what do I think about this expression? Is it up to snuff? Is it approved? Will it be approved? Right. Will it be approved by either my own rigid mind or others? whatever I assigned to others, whatever that is, right? And what, what we're trying to do and, and what, what you're trying to do with this is to direct each of us to the, the preciousness that's already there. All we're doing is expressing the preciousness that's already there. We're not creating preciousness. We're not holding preciousness together. And preciousness is essentially faceless. What we think doesn't really matter. It really doesn't matter. So whatever we call mistakes, it doesn't change anything, essentially. On essential level, it doesn't change anything. The issue is that our mind goes to that, and that's where we get trapped. In fact, that's where we find ourselves. That's why losing ourselves is so essential. Are we willing to do that? We have to lose what we think we are. Because what we think we are, in most cases, is not very precious. Or if we think it's precious, it's not the preciousness we're talking about. Or the Zen practice is talking about. Now, this is talking about we are precious as everything and everyone else is. 
equally. So, thank you. Thank you, Daibo. And uh, Kyotai, do you want to say a few words about listening? Sure. And uh, maybe you want to say a few words about how agenda plays into that or having no agenda. Uh, sure. Um, actually, it's a great time for this. I have a personal experience recently with this. Can everyone hear me okay? Yeah. All right. Um, so for our first workshop, we were talking about listening to ourself uh, via Zazen. Uh, this past weekend, I was actually uh, at a session at Shoboji. Um, and so I was really trying to fine tune those skills we were talking about in our Zazen and paying very close attention to that. Um, and in that, uh, trying to have my smaller self step out of the way and just kind of see what comes through without agenda. Um, and I had a role, the role of Joke, um, which I don't usually do. And it was a little bit different because of um, they had a lot, they had three sanghas on Zoom. So they were kind of different rules around that. Um, and I did something at the altar and there was somebody from Dabusatsu there who gave me a, a face that was like, because I did something that was kind of not okay. And somebody else gave them a face like, don't make that face. <laughs> so kind of the, the same idea of like something gained or something lost. Um, but the interesting thing I noticed when that happened, I didn't feel anything about it. I didn't feel uh, shamed or praised. I just felt like this is um, I was giving a pure hearted motion at the altar um, and the, the depth of the space that it was coming from didn't mind what uh, anybody was saying about it, whether it was good or bad. Um, it was more just an, an observation role. This person thought it was okay. That person thought it was not okay. Uh, and then I went to my seat and that was it. I wasn't holding on to anything. And somebody said afterwards, like, oh, you really, they were talking to me about it. Um, and they said, you really seem to not be holding on to anything about it, um, where we can get in that aspect of blaming ourselves or really thinking about all the mistakes that we made along the way. Um, and I wasn't. And I, I think in that instance, it was because of listening really from a deeper place. Um, mm -hmm. So in the, in the no agenda of having to be right about a scenario or um, doing anything other than the pure act of doing what you're doing, um, I think leads to that. Mm -hmm. So total acceptance of who we are, not before the mind moves, basically. That's really where it's at. Before the mind moves, right there. That's where acceptance happens. That, that's where acceptance begins and ends in a way. Because it ends it right there and there. There's no need to even work on acceptance or worry about acceptance because there is a sense of all-inclusiveness. Right. Thank you. Thank you. So, either Sugyoko Enkai, did you, do you want to say anything about that, since you're also co-leading the workshop? Mm. I think that it's interesting to consider agendas when you're running a meeting and there's an agenda. <laughs> Is there? But I think that it's, uh, it's different. We can understand the difference in that 
an agenda for a meeting may be a sense of focus or intention, but that we also have to be prepared to accept that it might go another way. And then in that case, there is no agenda because there's not a, an expected outcome where mm -hmm. it's uh, difficult to not just be delighted by whatever happens when you don't have a particular outcome in mind. Well, how do you reconcile the two? Uh, like uh, having an agenda and not having, like having a meeting agenda and not having... And an throw, having an agenda and throwing, and throwing it away. Mm. Or being willing to throw it away. Reconcile it? Uh, I don't know. It's it's that, you know, you prepare, but if it's, then, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I'm very tired. <laughs> I had encountered a very sleepless night with a, some drama. <laughs> okay. So we let you rest. <laughs> so when you hold on, you hold on tight. When you let go, you let go completely. One has gained, period. One has lost, period. Right? Thank you. Sugyoku? Um, I understand what Kiyotai is expressing. Uh, I find myself much, much more frequently not in that space. <laughs> Uh, so I'm, I'm understanding the feel of poverty mind, mm -hmm. which is where I feel I'm living most of the time. Uh, and it's showing up strongly in my co-leadership of the acceptance through listening workshop. Um, It's palpable. Mm -hmm. And when, so you talk about the willingness to let it go, not your words, let it go, not your words, um, but I don't remember your words. I see that aspect of it. At the same time, when it releases, it feels like magic mm. or like what Christians talk about as grace. Mm -hmm. And um, like I'm feeling right now, just saying this very moved, mm. it's very moving because I have a question now, knowing how good it feels for that to release Why don't I go there? It's not a question of why in the sense of what has happened in my life that prevents me from going there, but like right now, knowing how good it goes, even in Zazen, I'm finding this, knowing how good it is mm -hmm. to rest in an open space. Why does the poverty mind grip me? Because you believe it. Because you trust it. Something trusts it. it. 
But still, it's an open question because the other is so much more valuable. Mm. Precious, magic. Yeah. So that is my, I guess you would call it a koan right now. <laughs> That's our koan, yes. This is our, our lifelong koan, right? Because this is where it begins and ends. That, that is the gateless gate. And in terms of leading a workshop or leading a, you know, uh, some sort of session, I can see how having an agenda, you know, that's the framework. That's the starting point. That's like sitting upright in Zazen and doing your best to keep the posture. Mm. Or that's like having a backbone mm -hmm. so that you don't collapse on the floor. And then as you go, if you're not, if you're really fluid and open, then as something else comes up in the workshop, no one's going to hear your next point because maybe all hell is broken loose or because someone has just raised the point that's very important and goes in another direction. It's just, okay, we'll go there. Mm -hmm. No big deal. That's what it would be to yeah. have an agenda list agenda i think what has to do with if if i identify with something agenda whatever it is right then letting it go is suicide <laughs> in a way right it's like shooting myself in the foot right so i don't want to let it go right that's what we think yeah that's the point right and then so but the willingness to the willingness to be decisive when the time comes to be decisive, right? And the willingness to flow and let it go when the time comes to flow and let it go. Both right. are, both need to come from the same place. You know, we speak yeah. of being rooted in the Dharma. Being rooted in the Dharma is being open in all directions, right? Is having no agenda and then becoming what we need to become. So if the time comes to be decisive, it may, it may come across as aggressive, right? Or as controlling with some people, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter actually, because if it comes from the right place, it, is, it needs to come out in the way it comes out. It may be criticized. You, you may be, we may be criticized for saying, we may be criticized for not saying. Right? But if there is no gap, it's white noise. The criticism is white noise. So is the praise. Is white noise. Mm -hmm. Is secondary. You take care of the primary, of connecting with the primary. That's on you, on each of us. It's not that there's no enlightenment, but what could be done about falling into the secondary? Do you remember that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, it's good. Thank you. Yes, it is magic. So are you. Biogen. I just um, really resonated what, with, with what uh, Segyoku was saying. Um, and I actually want to thank you, Segyoku, because you helped to clarify something for me. Because I struggle as well with um, this inner critic and 
worrying about what other people think and it's always there. Um, I was just thinking, you know, just of this part of my life called, um, called teaching, you know, and I was just, Clara, thank you so much for clarifying this for me. This is, um, you know, when an administrator and a teacher, for example, um, they, they have an agenda, they have a structure, they have this, 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 and this, right? Now you do this, now you do this, now you do this. And everything becomes this tremendous task analysis. You know, first this, then this, then this. And I just realized um, why I, I stay, I, I'm actually clinging to that structure and so are they, you know? And being able to let go of that structure, um, maybe not fall to jelly, because I don't have a spine, but um, maybe letting go of that structure and seeing where the students take me, where the students take me um, and where they take my agenda. Let, being able to let go of that and let them do it is really what I want to do. I feel that open space too, you know, when I'm teaching, um, when I just let them take over it goes to tremendous places, tremendous places, places that I, that my expectations would not have, I mean, I, I wouldn't have those expectations, but they, they transcend when I'm able to let go of that structure, they transcend my expectations. Even if my agenda is like, okay, totally off. That's over there. That's over there just being able to be in that open space of allowing that to happen, mm. allowing them to teach me is just really amazing. So you really helped clarify that for me. I just wanted to thank you so much. It's great. Thank you. So, so you raise a very good point, right? To listen beyond what we think, to listen to what's going on around us. Right. And I think that, uh, Justin, you're going to you raise your hand, right? So, in a minute, uh, but uh, just to, to take a minute to talk about how we listen to each other, how we listen to other people, how do we hear, what happens that we get so quickly, we get impatient with other person's expression, why do we get, why do we get so critical, right, and it's easy to say because he or she is saying something, or because he or she is repeating something, or I've heard this before, whatever, that's, that's not where it comes from. The impatience comes from within. The dissatisfaction comes from within. It's not without. If we are settled within, we can hear anything. And it's not going to budge that. So when we think that we are feeling the way we're feeling because somebody just said something, we have to look deeper. That's a superficial way of examination. So we have to go beyond that. What's going on? What is going on? Here. Right? So one is gained, one is lost. Okay, great. It's a great opportunity to look at how, how I react to that. It's a great opportunity to free up something, to, or to free something within us. So let's go to Justin. 
Hi everyone. Um, so I just want to say thank you to all the um, to the workshop leaders. It's been a great time of learning and kind of going off of what you were saying about the, kind of that poverty mind. It's definitely been a challenging aspect. Um, kind of like what Miogen was saying, it's definitely resonating between everyone. It's kind of nurturing that part of us that's inside, especially within me, just being able to be open to um, whatever happens will happen, whether it's good or bad, whether it's criticism. And being able to apply it, I'm going through a transition um, professionally, and it's just nice to have that this change within us and being able to accept that the different leadership styles and having that structure change and seeing that um, perspective in me and being able to utilize that and just kind of let that happen. Um, so I just want to say thank you all. And I'm definitely seeing that and um, definitely working on that aspect as well. Thank you. So do you feel like things are dissolving? The rigidity uh, the, of the mind is dissolving somewhat? Slowly but surely, okay. yes. Yeah. Slowly is yeah. good. <laughs> Slow and steady is good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. I wanted to see if I'm Mioho, are you, uh, can you hear us? Your video is off, but I don't know if you can hear I us. I can. I apologize for my video. It's not working. My computer went blue. I put it in the chat. Just that's fine. I just, that's fine. I just, I want, um, maybe you can say yeah. a few words about uh, about what you do uh, in, in the workshop that you lead right now and, uh, you know, about listening to ourselves when we practice yoga and breathing. So, so um, hearing the other workshops and everyone else, which I'm very grateful for because as Myogen mentioned, you've really brought light to many things. Um, I actually want to say that, yeah, in the yoga workshop, I plan the class somehow i structure it i talk i think about you know the poses that were for parts of the body um i always <laughs> bump into the same wall which is the most amazing wall of you can separate parts of the body in yoga <laughs> so you can say let's work lower body or upper body but one part moving it's moving at all and sometimes pain that we feel in certain parts are not necessarily coming from that specific part, but from somewhere completely different or the other corner of your body. Mm -hmm. um, with that being said, I guess that's the beauty of it. It's not listening to the hips or the legs or it's understanding that the, the body's just one, you know, we're a whole and, and that they all work together. So we can't just take care of one part. But when it comes to me planning and it's just really interesting how I plan it and when I'm doing it, I end up never following that structure because I, it's just impossible. Um, even now that it's live and I'm doing it and I don't necessarily can see everyone um, much and what they're doing is still energetically, like it's just things that come stronger than me that tells me, you know, no, this, not this pose, you know. And it comes from a place that I don't even think about it. I'm just putting it words now. Mm -hmm. um, but then it also comes, my smaller self usually gets on the way of many classes. And this is through the workshop and other classes I taught. I, I finish the class and I think to myself, like, oh, what a terrible class I just gave, you know? Mm -hmm. And I start judging myself 
or the opposite sometimes. But usually when it happens of the judgmental of I this class suck, then I have someone coming to say, oh my God, that's exactly what I needed. And I'm like, what? Are you sure? You know, I still doubt that. Now on the other end, sometimes I think I'm giving the great class, but it usually happens before and after, never during. The practice itself never lets me get myself on my small self on the way. But before and after, I guess when I turn off or, you know, not leave that center, which I shouldn't. But um, that's when the judgmental mind wants to come in and, and just do something. Right. So I had classes where people just walk away. And again, during the practice, I do it. It was just not about that person. It wasn't about me. I just, I'm, I did check in a matter of seconds, where is this coming from? And I kind of reassured that it was not coming from my ego, but more of what I see looking beyond or, or try to reach out to other people. Mm-hmm. So I usually, when I have people walking out of my class, it's just, I look around too, you know, okay, what are the others doing? And obviously if I feel like it is time for me to adjust something, I always try to connect. And I think that's one thing I learned from yoga, especially um, guiding somehow people into the postures. Like I really need to project if I don't see what they're doing. if And if I don't offer modifications at the right time, what are the chances for them to really get the benefits out of it, you know, and, and get the most out of themselves, you know? So I think that's my responsibility as a, as I guess the instructor or the, the one that is guiding it, which is good because yeah, it can I can be in me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I need to get out of myself, which it's great. But the only thing is when it comes to yoga, it's beautiful, but extending it to daily life, mm-hmm. that's when I'm like that's where I'm struggling right now. Um, because when you talk about the koan, you know, um the one that lost and gained, mm-hmm. I thought I really, really picture myself at DBZ or at the dojo meditating with all of you and two people opening the windows and you saying that and me sitting, not even opening the windows Mm -hmm. and be like, oh my God, who was it? Mm -hmm. Who screwed up? Mm -hmm. So then I lost. (laughs) I was like, it's not only the people that are actually opening or closing the windows that get caught up into, right? Mm -hmm. So I was like, man, that's it. I lost because I'm starting getting, leaving that space where I am in Zazen to start judging or thinking of, oh my God, who did it wrong, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Or or how can the teacher say that? Or all those things that we, you know, going on and on, going Mm -hmm. with what Kyotai said about the faces. You have no idea how many times I get caught up with faces that people make Mm -hmm. And they weren't even going to myself directly. Mm-hmm. But then then I'm, that quote that you just said made me think like, man, how many times I lost my center, mm-hmm. which is nothing wrong. It's just paying attention to that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I'm, I'm working this workshop, like um, Daibo said, it's, it's, I hope it's helping other people. I'm, I'm getting feedbacks and I'm really welcoming everybody to please give it and share it. But it is definitely helping me to extend this yoga into the that deeper level of my daily life. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, not leaving my center as I walk through every second of my life. 
So yeah, thank yeah. you. Thank you. So you speak about the totality, right? Of so every so we focus, as you said, on lower back or knee or whatever hip. But then the while we we may be focusing on one area, there is always the totality, right? And there is always the understanding that uh, everything affects everything, right? So it's the same within. It's the same without. Right. So if we see it this way, then it's easier to actually bring compassion and care and kindness to the entire body. Right. And and then, of course, there's no uh, kindness without acceptance. Right. So total acceptance within will show up as total acceptance without. Right. And so it begins. It begins within. It begins with the way we see ourselves with the intimacy of being with ourselves, which, of course, that's Zazen, the intimacy of being, period. Yeah. Right? The only thing I've seen it highlights is the doubt. It's easy for me to get into that place of doubting that I don't, sometimes I don't even have an agenda, really, but I still doubt it. I still go to that mind of yeah. doubting uh, that. Doubting that, you know? Okay, you say I still go to that. I still go to that. It's not the same as I'm doubting. I am tempted by that, right? It shows up and I go along for the ride. I hop in, right? Yeah. And okay, so the question is, do I really need to hop in? Sometimes the answer is, well, you know, it's too late. I'm already in that car. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. but then, but that's okay, because then there's always the next time, there's the next opportunity and then can I stick around? Can I stay here? Or do I have to go, right? And then again and again, ask that question when it shows up. So, you know, you go to the blinds, you open the blind and you hear one is gained, one is lost. And then you hear the birds chirping and you hear the wind and, you know, you see all kinds of things. You just go back to the cushion and sit. That's always available. That's always an option. There's always the option to go nowhere, right? But it is very tempting to start to churn the mind, to start to follow this. What does it mean to also try to interpret that? Why does it have to mean anything, right? So there's always that ground that is, is, is also uh, offering itself, the, the, the ground that equalizes. So Maizumi Roshi used to say that the purpose of practice is to make the uneven even. Right? How do you make the uneven even? One has lost, period. One has gained, period. Of course, you know, conventionally we do lose, we do gain. But we don't lose with comparisons. Then the whole world is losing. Then there's nothing else going on. So where is the duality? One question I asked before. Where is the duality there? In one has gained, one has lost. Anyone? It's okay. Reza. Good morning. Morning. Um, I've been, um, <clears throat> this is reminding me of, of Thoreau's Walden, of 
maybe a strange place to go. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, he was doing an experiment with his life as we're doing an experiment with our lives. And the, the first topic he really discusses in Walden is about economics. And what he means is the value system on which you base your life and the things that are good and bad according to your value system. Um, so the biggest one would be material stuff or money, um, which he um, gets past. And then there's the people who want to do good and the do-gooders, which he um, has trouble with. Um, and what he eventually, I think, is working toward is somehow getting so united with nature that he goes beyond all economies, all value systems, all ways in which we can be um, judged by others or judging ourselves. Um, it's interesting with the, the blinds that one was um, good and one was bad, the, or um, positive or negative, and what might have been <clears throat> The good might have been taking on more burdens, and the one that was lost might have been losing the burdens. So the loss might be superior to what was gained in the other one. Mm-hmm. Um, so economies, finding out what our most basic economy is. You know, do I need to be loved? Do I need to be acknowledged? Do I need to be mm-hmm. um, capable or talented or um, successful? Um, and figuring out, um, seeing the role that those economies play in our lives and then um, how to um, work with them, how to uh, get ultimately uh, to a more neutral point in relation to them. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't think it's something that anyone can do very quickly, but just um, seeing what the scales are that are most significant to us, and where we feel the benefit and loss in our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's where the duality is? So that's one? The duality. Um, one of them, yeah, it can be. So the gap, right? So where is the gap and how does the gap, how is the gap born? Where does it come out from or off? I think the gap is to see that that there's this this measure external to us that we can somehow um, um, it can relate to us and it can um, it can qualify us in some way, mm-hmm. uh, and that it's not in here; it's it's out there somewhere. And like what Thoreau was doing was finding nature inside himself Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. by all the various things that he does when he's crawling around on Mm -hmm. the ice and in the dirt and so on. Um, So it's um, not letting yourself be measured by something outside. Yeah. So you speak about, you talk about uh, uh, alignment. So Thoreau was, you say, found nature within he found alignment with reality, with his surroundings. Right. He very much like a Taoist. Yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. So when there's no, you can hear it, but you don't hear it. Meaning one gain, one lost. You hear it, but you don't hear it.
is it, it passes through, it moves through. Nothing, it doesn't get caught in anything, right? Because there is this openness. It's just wide openness that allows gain, allows loss, allows it all. Yeah, thank you. Elle. Hi. Morning. Um, I wanted to talk a bit about my reaction to the koan and where I found myself getting stuck with it. Um, definitely when I heard one has gained and one has lost, I um, pretty quickly went to the duality of praise and criticism. Mm -hmm. um, and my first thought was, okay, like we aren't, like praise and criticism isn't as big of a deal as we think it is, but what about when we're in the position of giving praise and criticism and how do we conduct ourselves knowing that on wow. one hand, people suffer because it affects them deeply. On the other hand, it, it doesn't really have anything to do with you at all. Um, and the conversation with, and so I was thinking about, um, I've been playing like a lot of volleyball with some friends recently and, you know, we praise each other, we pump each other up and we also criticize each other when someone's trying to get better and same in our workshops where in, uh, in some ways we're agendaless, we're just there to express ourselves with each other freely and without any grading or anything like that. But at the end, we do praise our workshop leaders to try to encourage them. Um, and the conversation with Enkai actually during um, this Mondo really illuminated that for me because it wasn't a matter of being like, but we do give praise and credit, or, you know, I was getting really caught in this. We give praise and criticism. I see us give praise and criticism in this practice, mm -hmm. um, and yet it doesn't matter. And um, just instead of going one way or the other, um, existed there was um it, it took a little bit of everyone's talking about it for me to feel less caught on it um and like come to a place where when I think about it like I think about someone yesterday we were playing volleyball and her serve kept going not where she wanted to and so I started calling her um spaghetti arm because she was you know just uh, not with a lot of tension and control. And I think that was actually like a joyful form of criticism. And we all like kind of started, she started calling herself spaghetti arm. Um, and it was like a joyful way that we were able to experience criticism without immediately putting it in this duality of, but I'm not getting praised or something about me is being revealed. Um, something else I also was thinking about with poverty mind is, um, it, it is very, it, it is something that we believe in and trust, and it is very comfortable to go back to. Mm -hmm. And in my own experiences, um, it's like the reflexive practice of comparing and sorting things on a hierarchy is very comforting because it often enables us to put ourselves in a place in a hierarchy that is higher than things that we find very uncomfortable. Um, and I, I was just talking to a friend about this earlier, like in the presence, the like enduring presence of white supremacy in American society often has to do with economic realities where people who don't have enough money in order to make themselves feel more comfortable with not having money are able to stratify themselves as more as having more power than they actually have. 
on the basis of race because the economic realities just aren't there for them. And I also see that in confronting other scary realities, not economic, but in healthcare and bodies and the eventual deterioration of bodies is that a doctor doesn't really have any more power over life and death than a lay person. Um, but we construct a hierarchy in which we feel comfortable as professionals saying that we do because we're so uncomfortable dealing with suffering and death. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So those are just, I wanted to share them because those are my experiences of getting caught on things and then trying, feeling a little bit less caught on it in this conversation. I appreciate everyone. Thank you. For sharing. Thank you for sharing that. So it's just, uh, and yes, it's very uh, important to, to express that. And the other thing also about practice, uh, you mentioned uh, being uh, praised and being uh, maybe constructive criticism, right? Experiencing that. All of it is just encouragement, right? And we have to see that rather than seeing those two as, as two separate things or opposing, right? <coughs> we can see that as different ways to encourage each other. Yeah. You know, there so, are, yeah, go oh. ahead. No, go ahead. You go. You go. Uh, with you saying that, that helps a lot because there are also times where I feel praise and it doesn't feel good because I feel like someone's accepting less from me than I know that I can do mm -hmm. because it doesn't feel encouraging. It feels like it's putting the lid on it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. And also criticism can shut down something, right? If yes. it's not taken, if it's not taken in that context, but it is, all of it is to, so to help each other stay stick around basically and, and, and maintain the, the resolve, right? But, but it has a forward motion. So there's no lead, there's no ceiling there, right? It always keeps going. So whether it is do this now, right? As okay, no problem, I'll do it now, right? Uh, oh, you know, that was great. Okay, great, right? So both, both are, are done with the same mindset for the same purpose. And the purpose is just keep going. No matter what, just keep going. Right? So that's we that's how we have to see that. Okay, mm. but thank you for bringing it up. Thank you. Okay, so Hoji, and I think you may have the last word. Thank you so much, everybody. Um, how do you say Tadjoku? Say, say Gyoku. Say Gyoku. Uh, thank, thank you, everybody, uh, for sharing. Um, and I noticed um, when Gyoku, uh, did I say it right? Say, say. say Gyoku. Gyoku. Uh, was sharing. Uh, you had uh, one of your hands on your heart. And while you were allowing yourself to be moved and, and it just, the moment struck me and I felt moved by the tenderness uh, in your, your care for yourself and your willingness to be vulnerable and um, I just wanted to share that. And regarding Ongo and this topic, one of my uh, 
commitments has been uh, to allowing uh, my facial hair to just be whatever it is. And it's been, um, uh, I still have enormous, um, I get completely freaked out by it. <laughs> and, um, and, and it's this, you know, intense wild ride uh, where, you know, it's almost, I get these flash sort of fires of, shame and self-consciousness it's a it's an amalgamation of just you know um stuff that's uncomfortable mm -hmm. self-consciousness mm -hmm. and i noticed and um i don't really i regarding comparisons and duality um you know, when you share the koan, I, I, I must not get it. I don't know if I get it. I don't, it's okay with me either way, truly. But, but my thought was, well, okay. Uh, you know, someone gains, someone loses, there's balance. <laughs> and I, I just, I guess I just don't get it. Um, but I love the part of me that, that doesn't have to get it. At the same time, you know, it, it, uh, if I, my mind does compare, you know, and, um, and I feel I do this, I should be farther along than I am thing. Um, but I, I mean, what's beautiful about these intensive practice periods is, you know, they, it's like handing us a magnifying glass and saying, you know, now look deeper and, I noticed uh, my one of my sisters posted something on Facebook about um, you know post something red from your phone, and so I um, took a video uh, of myself because I was wearing something red and posted it, and then I felt like I had to explain my facial hair like this do this preemptive. Um, um, it was control. I wanted to control what, what um, other people m maybe, um, you know, were going to think of me. So it was really, um, really powerful and healing um, to have that information that, um, that my, my care for what others think um, can be that profound. And, and it made me wonder, gee, where else in my, in my life do I do this preemptive thing? Where, where am I constantly trying to control the outcome of what other people think? And, um, and just, you know, and of course there's freedom in just the question. Um, and then I, I'll share just this, uh, this uh, last thing. I often don't know if I'm making sense, by the way, and I've just learned to let that go as well. Um, one of my other commitments this ongo is to being present and uh, being rooted. For me specifically, that means keeping my root chakra open and grounded, which, uh, you know, that is a very frightening, painful, um, uh, unnerving uh, experience. Um, but it's it's been enormously valuable 
And what's happening as a result of that, you know, and I've noticed recently in Zazen is that um, I cry uh, as I allow the energy and really re what's happening is I'm just letting go and, and allowing myself to be in connectedness, total surrendered connectedness. You know, all of the obstructions, which for me, I carry them in my hips. Um, uh, you know, I, I rub up against these pockets and then I just sob or weep. And, um, and I noticed today that I was telling myself, well, you're not supposed to cry during Zazen. You're just supposed to sit. So there's the perfectly imperfect part of my practice. And I, I really just trust the love and it's that blind trust again, you know, thank God for that. Hope it, hope this made some sense. Thank you. So, yes. Yeah, so nobody's saying no crying when tears come, they come. So you can sit and cry at the same time. It's perfectly fine. Thank you. If it needs to happen, it happens. Thank you. So I'd like to finish with a short poem by Hogan, uh, the teacher in this koan. Hogan was the founder of one of the five houses of Zen, a school that did not last, did not survive, but uh, a great, amazing teacher. Uh, in one of his poems, he said, a bird in a secluded grove sings like a flute. Willows sway gracefully with their golden threads. The mountain valley grows the quieter as the clouds return. A breeze brings along the fragrance of the apricot flowers. For a whole day I have sat here encompassed by peace until my mind is cleansed in and out of all cares and idle thoughts. I wish to tell you how I feel, but words fail me. If you come to this grove, we can compare notes. And we are comparing notes. Every time we speak, every time we are quiet. Thank you. <laughs>